Let's pray together. Vindicate me, Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord, have, have not faltered. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind, for I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. I do not sit with the deceitful, nor do I associate with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds. Lord, I love the house where you live, the place where your glory dwells. Do not take away my soul along with sinners, my life with those who are bloodthirsty, in whose hands are wicked schemes, whose right hands are full of bribes. I lead a blameless life. Deliver me and be merciful to me. My feet stand on level ground. In the great congregation, I will praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, let our church be marked with faithfulness. Lord, we stand before your presence because of the cross. Lord, we come to your throne with confidence because of the blood that was shed for me, the blood that washes away all my sins. So whatever guilt, whatever shame that we are feeling right now, our emotions, we lay it at your feet, O oh God. We come to your, your throne and to your holy place with confidence because, God, you are our mediator. So, God, we look to you, Jesus. We look to the cross. And I pray now as you transition to the message, I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, the listeners here today, God, it will be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord. For, God, you are our rock and our redeemer. We love you. We thank you. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, in my pray. And God's people pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, everyone. Uh, let's all take our seats and let's begin with today's final message of our Job series, part 16. We're finally here. The title is called Yahweh, who is, who was, and is to come. I'll say it again. Yahweh, who is, who was, and is to come. Let us understand the sovereignty of our Lord Jesus Christ this afternoon. There's a lot of reading here in the beginning, and, I, and it's very important that we do so. It begins from chapter 38 to chapter 42. So there's a lot of reading, but we're going to do the same thing that we always do, that we've been doing in this series. I'm going to read one chapter, and I'm, I'm going to ask the congregation to read the next chapter. And these chapters are very important because it gives, well, there's two parts where Job responds to God, and it's very short. It's in a few verses, but majority of it, 90% of it, is God speaking. Remember, Elihu was speaking in chapter 37, and in chapter 38, God comes and he speaks, and he speaks for himself. And you'll see that God, he doesn't explain anything. He just says, Job, can you even fathom what who I am and the control that I have and the sovereignty of my power from past, present, and future with the space and the universe, everything from the small things to the animals to the bugs to the little details to the big details that we see with the sunrise, with the sunsets, stars being held in this place by the hands of God. So you see 
the amazing, the amazing writing found here in Job chapter 38 to, to chapter 42. So let's go ahead and read. I'm going to begin with chapter 38. And it says, the Lord speaks. It begins with this. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footing set or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may have come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that I might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal, its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light and where there's darkness reside. Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hell, which are reserved for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed? or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm? To water a land where no one lives, an uninhibited desert to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass? Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? When the waters become hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons? Or lead out of the bear with its cups? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you? Here we are. Who gives Ibis wisdom or gives the rooster understanding? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens? When the dust becomes hard and the clouds of the earth stick together, do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions? When they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in a thicket, who provides food for the raven when his young cry out to God and wonder about lack of food. Chapter 38. 
Ready? One, two, three. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? They crouch down and bring forth their young. Their labor pains are ended. Their young cry and grow strong in the wilds. They leave and do not return. Who let the wild donkey go free? Who untied its ropes? I gave it the wasteland as its home, the salt flats as its habitat. It laughs at the commotion in the town. It does not hear the driver's shout. It ranges the hills for its pasture and searches for any green thing. Will the wild ox consent to surgery? Will it stay by a manger at night? Can you hold it to the furrow with the harness? Will it till the valleys behind you? Will you rely on it for its great strength? Will you leave your heavy work to it? Can you trust it to fall in grain and bring it to your precious floor? The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, though they cannot compare with the wings and feathers of the sword. She lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand. Unmindful that toil may crush them, that some wild animal may trample them. She seeks her young harshly, as if they were not hers. She cares not that her labor was in vain, for God did not endure her with wisdom or give her a share of his sense. Yet when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at horse and rider. Do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with the flowing mane? Do you make it leap like a locust, striking terror with its proud snorting? It paws fiercely, rejoicing in its strength, and charges into the fray. It laughs out of fear, afraid of nothing. It does not shy away from the sword. The quiver rattles against its side, along with the flashing spear and lance. In frenzied excitement, it eats up the ground. It cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. At the blast of the trumpet, it snorts, aha. It catches the scent of the battle from afar, the shout of commanders and the battle cry. Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread its wings towards the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build its nest on high? It dwells on a cliff and it stays there at night. A rocky crag is its stronghold. From there it looks for food, its eyes detect it from afar. Its young ones feast on blood, and where the slain are, there it is. Amen. I'm going to continue. Chapter 40. The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? And can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor. 
and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them all in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. Look, behemoth, which I made along with you and which feeds on grass like an ox. What strength it has in its loins. What power in the muscles of its belly. Its tail sways like a cedar. The sinews of its thighs are close-knit. Its bones are tools of bronze, its limbs like rods of iron. It ranks first among the works of God, yet its maker can approach it with his sword. The hills bring it their produce, and all the wild animals play nearby. Under the lotus plant it lies, hidden among the reeds in the marsh. The lotuses conceal it in their shadow. The poplars by the streams surround it. The raging river does not alarm it. It is secure, though the Jordan should surge against its mouth. Can anyone capture it by the eyes or trap it and pierce its nose? Ready, chapter 41. Ready? One, two, three. Can you hold it with a fishhook or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Will it make an agreement with you for you to take it as your slave for life? Can you make a pet of it like a bird or put it on a leash for the young woman in your house? Will traders harder for it? Will they divide it up among the merchants? Can you fill its hide with harpoons or its head with fishing spears? If you lay a hand on it, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. Any hope of subduing it is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to arouse it. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. I will not fail to speak of the Leviathan's limbs, its strength and its graceful form. Who can strip off its outer coat? Who can penetrate its double coat of armor? Who dares open the doors of its mouth, ring about with fearsome teeth? Its back has rows of shields tightly sealed together. Each is so close to the next that no air can pass between. They are joined fast to one another. They cling together and cannot be parted. Its snorting throws out flashes of light. Its eyes are like rays of dawn. Flames stream from its mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from its nostrils as from a boiling pot over burning reeds. Its breath sets coals ablaze, and flames dart from its mouth. Strength resides in its neck. This dismay goes before it. The folds of its flesh are tightly joined. They are firm and immovable. Its chest is as hard as a rock, hard as a lower millstone. When it rises up, the mighty are terrified. They retreat before its thrashing. The sword that reaches it has no effect, nor does the spear or the dart or the javelin. Iron it treats like straw and bronze like rotten wood. 
Arrows do not make it flee. Sling stones are like shaft to it. A club seems to it like a piece of straw. It laughs at the rattling of the lance. Its undersides are jagged potsherds, leaving a trail in the mud like a threshing sledge. It makes the depths turn like a boiling cauldron and stirs up the sea like a pot of ointment. It leaves a glistening wake behind it. One would think the demon had white hair. Nothing on earth is its equal, a creature without fear. And it looks down on all that are haughty. It is king over all that are proud. Amen. Uh, so far, before we go ahead and read the last chapter, do you see God explaining anything about why Job is suffering? The answer is no. God is just speaking about himself, his power, and his might. Uh, with that, uh, I'm glad that we're reading uh, these chapters together because for some of us, it's our first time reading the book of Job, and it's good that we're reading it together, especially the part where God speaks. This is a very important section. I'm glad that we're reading it together. So let's bear with me as we read the final chapter. Okay, chapter 42 of the book of Job. We're finally here. We've been through the journey. We did the Philippines series, Job series, and here we are. Chapter 42. It says this. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Epilogue, conclusion. Verse 7, it says this. After the Lord has said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Nemathite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Verse 10. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters, everyone who had known him before, came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. Verse 12, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, a thousand yoke of oxen and a thousand donkeys. Literally the double the number if you look at it from the beginning. Verse 13. And he also has seven sons and three daughters. I believe that's the same number of sons and daughters that he had in the beginning. Verse 14. The first daughter he named Jemima. A second, Keziah. And third, Karen Hapu. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father granted them an inheritance 
along with their brothers. 16 and 17, last two verses. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation, and so Job died, an old man and full of years. Amen. All right, great job, everyone. Great job hanging in there. Three points, starting with number one. God is God. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. It begins with him and it ends with him. He is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. God is God. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God tells Moses, what does he say? He says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, his chosen people. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. I am who I am. The name of God, Yahweh. The name of God. I am who I am. In John chapter 8, verse 58, it says, Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. How is that possible when Abraham was born? Physically, he was born. He was in a time period earlier before Jesus was even born. How can someone say, I was before George Washington when George Washington was way before me? In 1776, a long time ago. How? How is that possible? Because we understand that Jesus is God, that he was there from the beginning. I am who I am is Jesus Christ. He is the ruler of all things, past, present, and future, beginning, middle, and end. The Trinity of God, the definition of Trinity is what? He is one in being, but three in person. All the same being, one being but three in person, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, and God. The Trinity of God, which means Jesus is God. That's why it says in John chapter 1, that in the beginning, John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, in the beginning was the Word. What spoke, what brought earth, the world, into existence? It's the Word of God. God spoke the world into existence. It says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word of God in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Who is this Word? This Word is Jesus Christ. It's the Word of God. Through Him, verse 3, through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Who is the light of all mankind? It's Jesus Christ. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. Remember, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, darkness came. But Jesus was the light. He was shining bright in the darkness, and darkness could not overcome the light, which is Jesus Christ. Therefore, as Christians, if we belong, we belong to Jesus Christ, then no darkness can overcome us. I am who I am. 
Matthew 28, Jesus says here in verse 18, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? To me. Because I am God. The Son of God. It says in Revelations 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha meaning beginning. Omega means end. Says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, which is the title of today's message, the Almighty, the beginning and the end, the sovereignty of my God. And it's very clear that in Hebrews 1.3 and Colossians 1, we have it up on the screen, but let's go over it together. Let's go over Hebrews 1.3 first. The Son, capital S, Son, Jesus Christ, the Son, Jesus Christ, is the radiance of God's glory. I want you to understand that. It's the radiance of God's glory. It's giving us a definition of who Jesus Christ is. And the what? The exact representation of His being, the being of God, the Trinity of God. Again, Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, God. Again, what is the definition of Trinity? One in being, but three in person, right? Which means that he is the exact representation of his being, of God. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So we understand Jesus Christ, again, from this passage, that he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus is God. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1 passage. It says here in 15 through 20, the supremacy of the Son of God. It says here, the Son, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, not some things, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Again, it's about the cross. It's through the cross that it gives us access to his throne to have access to the relationship with Jesus Christ because of the blood that was shed for me that washes away all of my sins. So we understand from point one, God is God. That literally, that means anything that God does, whatever he does, has done in the past or will do, is perfect and it is fair period, that's it, no argument. God is God. 
If God were to say to me that today, Andrew, is your last day, then God, you are fair in your judgment, and praise be to your name. Because if he, and he is a fair God, I should have died a long time ago. But it's because of his mercy and by his grace that I have breath today to be even able to even stand up here to give a message. Who am I? But thanks be to God for his blood and the cross that was shed for me so that I can have access to his throne today and have a relationship with him today. God is God. Amen? Number two, Satan is Satan. And it's like, you know, God is God. And Satan, yeah, Satan, Satan, yeah. Lord as nothing. Yeah, Satan, Satan, what? Who's Satan? Let us understand the limited power of Satan. And I want to encourage you to go back to listen to the part two of Job's series where we talk, right? We went in depth about Satan. We talk, the title was called Satan Debunked. We talked about his limited power. But we're not here to focus too much on that, but just to go over, we understand that Satan is limited, right? He's limited in his power and what he can do. He is not omnipresent. He cannot be in one place everywhere, all these different places like God. God is everywhere. Satan is not everywhere. He has his little minions doing his bidding for him. He does not know all things. He does not know what you're thinking right now. He is limited. The only thing that the devil knows is what? He knows your past. He doesn't know your future. He cannot see the outcome of your future. So we even said that Satan fighting Job was a losing game. There's no way that, Job, that Satan was going to win because God already saw the outcome. God already knew what was going to happen. Satan, he is very limited. His powers are limited. That's what it says in Job chapter 1, verse 12. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power. When he said it's in your power, he said it's in your limited power, Satan. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. For Satan does not have the power to take a life. Only God can ordain life and death. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. We have to remember that we are all accountable to God. That in the end, that we all answer to God. We report to God. Every angelic being, every human being, rich or poor, regardless of your gender, color of your skin, it doesn't matter. All the weak, the poor, the rich, the strong, it doesn't matter. We all answer to God. Every being answers to God. And Satan trembles at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why when we cast out demons, we say, in the name of Jesus Christ. When we pray, we say, in the name of Jesus Christ. And we say, amen. We don't just say, amen, after we pray. We say, in the name of Jesus Christ. For sin trembles at the name of Jesus Christ. Because that name is the name above all names. In Acts chapter 16, there's a story. It says here, you know, Paul, he encounters a woman who is of a different spirit, right? And in this story, it says, when, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she had predicted the future. She was a fortune teller. She, she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. 
She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed, and it's not wrong to be annoyed. Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. He's talking to the Spirit, not the person. At that moment, the Spirit left her. So we understand how powerful the name of Jesus Christ is. I've been reading this book. The book is called Suffering and the Sovereignty of God. And Pastor Piper, in this book, he mentions in chapter 1, he mentions in his title, Suffering and the Sovereignty of God. Ten aspects of God's sovereignty over suffering and Satan's hand on it. But in chapter 1, he says, and I'm quoting here, the book says, Satan is sometimes called in the Bible the ruler of this world, or the god of this world, or the prince of the power of the air, or a cosmic power over this present darkness. This means that we should probably take him seriously when it says that the devil took Jesus and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and the glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Of course, that is strictly true. If the sovereign of the universe bows in worshipful submission to anyone, then one becomes a sovereign of the universe. But this is the important part. Pay attention. But Satan's claim that he can give the authority and glory of world kingdoms to whomever he wills is half truth. No doubt he does play havoc in the world by maneuvering a Stalin or a Hitler or an Idi Amin or Bloody Mary or Saddam, Saddam Hussein into a murderous power, but he does this only at God's permission and within God's appointed limits. That in the end, no matter how messed up the world is with war and chaos that's happening around us, we, have, we cannot forget that God is in control, that he is sovereign over all things. Yes, Satan will use certain individuals to do his evil biddings, but you have to remember that God is ultimately in control and that all of us, every human beings, every human being, we, we will, at the end, in the end, when we take our final breath, we will answer to God and we will be judged. In seminary, in the paper, and I'm, I'm quoting here in the paper that was written. And pretty much in this paper, uh, we talk about, talking about Saint's authority and his ability. It was a paper that I wrote, that his act is limited, that his ability to act are limited, his authority is limited. Uh, to exercise the authority that he wants to exercise, he needs permission from God. And I quote Job 1, you know, the passages, you know, Job chapter 6. And he is not a creator, I wrote, and he, but he is a counterfeiter, I wrote. Uh, he is a parasite, right? He is a parasite. Thus, he often works through the operation, cooperation of human beings. Uh, again, he is not a creator, but he is a counterfeiter. 
And I, I quoted a guy, Charles S. Kraft. He wrote, he makes an analogy of rats showing human beings provide the garbage for the occupation of the kingdom of darkness. The demons are like rats. In the book, he mentions that demons are like rats. They feed on the garbage of human beings. And we all have different, different garbages, right? Some, some of us, we have different types of addictions. Some of us, we have different types of struggles. The demons, they feed on that. Right? He is a parasite. He's kind of like Freddy Krueger, right? Or like it, or whatever. It becomes more powerful as you give it more power, as you believe in it. But when you have Jesus Christ, it has no power over you. And in the book, The Satan Syndrome, Nigel Wright, in quoting, he says, The vitality of the devil is parasitic and his strength substantially drawn from humanity. The power that the devil has in himself is far less than we might imagine and far more dependent on that which mankind gives him. Then when we give him power, when we believe in him more, that we give him, a, that, that gives him the source, that, that it gives it the source of power for him to become stronger in our lives. But we also learn from the book of Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis that we cannot that there are two extreme dangers, right? Number one, we cannot overestimate the power of Satan and the kingdom of darkness, right? Don't overestimate the power. And number two, don't underestimate the power of Satan and the kingdom of darkness. Just see it for what it is. Give credit for what is due. But remember, it is limited. Do not forget that through Jesus Christ, we can overcome any prince of darkness, any attack, any flaming arrows of the enemy, we can bind it in the name of Jesus Christ as Paul did when he encountered this woman who was possessed by a different type of spirit. We understand that through Jesus Christ, we can be strong. That's why it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, you dear children are from God. Remember the bracelet that we had that I don't think anyone wears. I, I literally thought Andy was going to wear it until he dies because he, like, wears those things. But I don't know. Where is it, Andy? Oh, it's up there. Oh, because it's so, so loose. It's up there. Oh, I see. Stretched. But we see here in 1 John 4, 4, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And then we also have 1 Corinthians 15, 57 in that bracelet, which says what? Thanks be to God, for he gives us victory, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We understand that if God is for us, who can be against us, right? Romans 8, 31. We have all these different passages that come that reminds us that when we're in Christ, that we have nothing to be afraid of. Or Isaiah 41, verse 10, my favorite verse, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So let's end with point two. Satan is Satan by saying, Satan, you are not omnipotent. You are not omnipresent, and you are not omniscient. But say this, say, my God, my God is omnipotent. My God is omnipresent. My God is omniscient. Saying, you have no hold over me. For you are a limited being. You are a counterfeiter. 
You are a liar. You are a parasite. Which leads to our point number three and our last point for this afternoon. And this is very important, a very important lesson that we can learn from the book of Job. You know, it all boils down to this, to point number three. Do not argue with God. Just submit. Just submit. Do not ask why. Just submit. Submit to him. And the question that I want to ask you is this. Will you have the faith to trust in him? Even when you don't understand, even when you don't have the answer. Having faith, pay attention, having faith is more important than our need to know why. We are not called to understand everything, for we are finite beings. And even when we cannot understand, it's okay. It's not okay, but it's okay. Because God is in control, and God loves you. And he has a plan, a purpose for you. Let's go to Job chapter 40, verse 1 through 2. Let's all read together. Ready? One, two, two. Ready? One, two, three. Then the Lord said to Job, Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? Let's go ahead and go to chapter 40, verse 3 to 5. Job responds to the Lord. Ready? Let's read together. Ready? One, two, three. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. What does Job do? He goes, I'm not going to say anything, God. Oh, I messed up the first time. I spoke too much. I spoke in too many chapters. But this one, he just literally says three lines. I'll speak no more. And that's what we have to do to God, before God. Never curse him. Let's, go, let's continue. Chapter 42, verse 1 to 6. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So what is he saying here? In Chronological Life Application Study Bible, he mentions here, I'm quoting, Throughout this time of suffering, Job longed to have an opportunity to plead his innocence before God. Just like when you and I, we go through hard times, we want to plead our case with God. You want to prove your innocence to God. For example, you're driving, you get a ticket, and you're not speeding, the cop's saying you're speeding. No, officer, I was not speeding. And you put it on, on cruise control, and you know that you're not speeding. And you can't wait for that court date to go and to plead your case because you know that you're innocent. But with God, we don't need to have that kind of urgency. For God knows everything. He knows what is right, and he knows what is wrong. So throughout his time of suffering, Job longed to have an opportunity to plead his innocence before God. 
Here God appeared to Job and gave him that opportunity. But Job, he decided to what? Remain quiet because it was no longer necessary for him to speak. God has shown Job that as a limited human being, he had neither the ability to judge the God who created the universe, nor the right to ask why. God's actions do not depend on ours. Pay attention. God's actions do not depend on ours. He will do what he knows is best. Regardless of what we think is fair, it is important to know, however, that God came to Job demonstrating his love and care for him. Just don't forget that God loves you. God loves you. And that God, he will do what he knows is best. That he is, I am, who I am. Do not even think for a second that you can go face to face to face God. There is no way that we will win our plea, our case to God. Didn't you read how powerful our God is? He controls Leviathan. Leviathans are like these huge animals. I wish I could show you these images. One of my fears is the ocean. Think about all those huge gazillas and all those monsters on, under the water, right? What are those called in Japanese? Kaijus? What's with that, Dan? Is it kaijus? Help me, what is it? Is kaijus? Wait, who knows? Andy, come on. Kaijus, right? Okay, uh, whatever. But think about all those huge creatures under the water. It says in one part, and I'm not going to forget, their teeth are so close together that not even air can go through. Like, how strong and strong the teeth are of this Leviathan. It says God controls all things, through the big and through the small. He controls every detail. How powerful our God is. Who are we? How dare we to plead our case towards a powerful God? Let's go to chapter 41, verse 10. It says, Who then is able to stand against me? This is God speaking. Who then is able to stand against me? And the answer is, no one, Lord. No one. You are, I am. I am who I am. And what happens here at the end of the story in chapter 42? We're almost finished. That we understand that when we submit to God, God, he rewards us. And even if he doesn't, it's okay. For his, he's still sovereign, and he is still good. Let's take a look at the final part of the story here. Chapter 42. Bear with me, we're almost done. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. And the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. Again, from the previous and the beginning, he only had half of that number. And he also has seven sons and three daughters. And let's go and skip to verse 16. After this, 
Job lived a hundred and forty years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation, and so Job died as old man and full of years. Did Job change over time? Yes. Was he the same? Yes. In the beginning, he was a man of integrity. In the end, he was also a man of integrity. Because what does it say in Job 1, 20-22? The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. What does it say in verse 22? Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. This is after he lost everything. His flock, his property, and his children. What does he say? The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In chapter 42, when Job responds, when Job responds from chapter 38 and chapter 42, two times he responds, he had the same attitude and the same type of faith as he did in the beginning and as he did in the end. So I pray as men and women of God that we will not forget who our God is, that my God is sovereign. What is the name of the title? Let's all read it together. Ready? One, two, three. Yahweh, who is, who was, and is to come. I'm going to close with this. I just want to commend everyone for sticking through this series that we've been on. And I pray, especially in the year 2020, that you remember the word steadfast. Especially remember the book of Philippians. Remember Job, the one who remained faithful in his trials. Oh, what a year 2020 has been for all of us. Crazy things that has been happening. But I want to I want to say this as we're ending our final series here today. I want to say only when you are willing to risk it all and to put it all on the line will you truly live. And what risk is that? It's by putting all your trust and putting all of your hopes in Jesus Christ. When we are not willing to take risks, but we instead we play safe. We place the safe Christianity. Oh God, you're, you weren't really there for me this year. So many things that has happened. So I'm going to just play safe. I'm not going to really follow you all the way. I'll see what you do for me this year. I'll see what you do for me next year. Then I will go ahead and I'll risk it all. That's not how it works. You need to risk it all in the beginning. All, it's all or nothing. There is no middle ground. When we are lukewarm in the middle, then it says we'll be spit out of his mouth. For God does not like middle ground. But he accepts those who are hot or cold. He accepts those who will risk it all and who will give their whole life for him. 
There's a favorite movie, one of my favorite movies, and the movie is called Braveheart. In that scene, there's a scene where they're about to fight a battle. They're trying to become their own country, their independent nation, from the nation of England. And in the story, people are scared. Those, these soldiers—they're not even soldiers; they're farmers. And they're scared and they want to run away from the battle that is in front of them so that they can live, quote unquote, a comfortable life. And then I love this scene because William Wallace, the main character, he comes. And he says in this scene, he says, and in quoting, he says, I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free man, and free man you are. And what will you do with your freedom? Will you fight? And that's the same question that we should ask ourselves as Christians. Will you fight? Or will you run away? Or are you going to blame God and cast blame? And curse God in your suffering and trials? Or will you fight? Will you have faith and fight? And the soldiers, they hear him speaking, they're like, fight? Against what? Against that? No, we're gonna run. We will run so that we can live. We will live so that we can be safe. And William Wallace, he says in response to that, he says, okay, fight and you may die. Yes, it's scary. And run, you will live. Yes, that is true. But he says, at least for a little while. And you'll be dying in your beds many years from now. Meaning death comes no matter what. He asked this question. I love this line. Would you be willing to trade all the days from this day today to that day when you take that final breath and you die on your deathbed for one chance, just one chance to come back here and to tell our enemies that they may take our lives but that they'll never take our freedom. You know, this year, the quote, every man dies, not every man really lives, has been in my heart, resonated in my heart. That's about risking it all. It's about living the rest of our lives for the sake of the gospel. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, as he is in prison, remember this, remember the Philippians series that we went over. Paul says in Philippians, he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Again, he's in prison when he's saying this. Paul thinks this is his last, this might be his end, but he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. With our eyes closed right now. I want us to praise the one. The Alpha and the Omega. 
the author and the perfecter of our faith, Yahweh, Jesus Christ, the one who is and the one who was and the one who is to come, the Almighty God. I want us to rejoice in our trials right now. Yes, 2020 was terrible. Yes, there were a lot of testings, a lot of things that it didn't make sense. God, why would you bring, why would you allow this suffering to happen to me this year? Why now? The question is not about us understanding, but it's about trust and faith in Him. Trust in Him and have faith in Him and know that He is good. So can we take a moment right now to praise the one who loves us. Worship him right now. Do not ask him for anything, but praise him. Be like Job. Cover your mouth. God, I have nothing more to say but to repent and to return to dust and to ashes, God. I need you right now. God, it's not about me understanding why, but it's about me putting my faith and trust in you. I praise you today. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you.
give the rest of our lives for the sake of the gospel. Oh God, let us rejoice. For a little while we had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. But these trials and sufferings have come to prove the genuineness of our faith. To let it become greater worth than gold. That God and result will result in praise, glory, and honor.
expect, Paul says in chapter 1 of Philippians, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. I'll say it again, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. He's talking about him being in prison. He's talking about him being in chains. He's talking about his suffering and his trials. But he says this, but we'll have sufficient courage. Can you repeat that after me? Sufficient courage. Sufficient courage. So that now as always, Christ, Christ Jesus Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, for me, I don't know about you, but for me, Paul is speaking for me. And let us resonate with Paul as he speaks here. But to me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm going to say it again. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Can you repeat after me? To live is Christ. To live is Christ. And to die is gain. And to die is gain. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for reminding us of this year of our vision were steadfast. Thank you for teaching us through the book of Philippians, through the book of Job, of your faithfulness, of who you are. God, no matter what trials, no matter what suffering, no matter what obstacle stands in our way in front of us, we will lift up our hands and worship you today. And we'll proclaim with our mouth and with our hearts that God, that you are worthy. Let us worship you no matter what. Let us not follow what the world is doing. Even if I'm the only one that will stand for righteousness and when we lift up my hands and worship, let it be so. I will follow you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, O Lord Jesus Christ. I am not perfect. I fall every day. But Lord, it's through the blood that was shed for me, it's through the grace and the mercy that has been given to me that I'm able to stand up and do it again and again and again. Especially on the days, God, where I feel like, God, I messed up so bad, I feel like I'm crawling. Even when I don't have the strength to even face the next day, as long as I have breath, I will praise the Lord. I will worship you and proclaim with my mouth and my heart that, God, that you are worthy. Lord, let Deep Roots Church be a church that will worship you no matter what obstacles, no matter what challenges we face. As we have two weeks here, and in two weeks we're finally moving, to a new location. Can we just take a moment right now to give God thanks? Let's not ask for anything. As a church, can we just lift up our voices? Let's thank Him for who He is. The only reason why we were steadfast this year, the only reason that we were able to meet, that we made it, is because of Him. He is the one that holds us in the foundation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's take a moment right now to thank Him, give Him thanksgiving. Let's thank the Lord for who He is. Let's thank the Lord for all the good and the bad. 
Let's thank Him and let's praise Him this afternoon. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, we come before you, God, as a church. Thank you, God. God, we lift up our voices with our heart of thanksgiving. Oh, God, you are worthy of all my praises. Oh, God, we look to you, Lord Jesus. We look to you. God, with the transition, everything that's going to happen soon, and your faithfulness throughout these two years here in this location, we give you thanks for who you are, oh God. Thank you for all the trials, all the ups and the downs, especially for the downs, oh God. For God, it is doing within us something that is beautiful to prove the genuineness of our faith of greater worth than gold. That will be refined by fire. That it may result in praise, glory, and honor. And in the end, Jesus Christ will be revealed. And in the end, we have inexpressible and glorious joy. For we're receiving the end result of our faith. The salvation of our souls. Thank you, Lord. We love to be here in your house, O God. To dine with you and to praise you. Thank you for the grace that you give. And God, as we lift up our hands and worship, continue to fill our hearts with more and more, with more of you, O oh God. We love you. We thank you. We thank you for today's message. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. And God's people pray. Amen and amen.